when I was, uh, I think the first time I read it was in seminary. There was a book called uh, Love God with All Your Mind uh, by an author named J.P. Moreland. He would write a bunch of other books that I read through the years. And, and I can't remember where this quote comes from, if it's from Love God with All Your Mind or one of his other books. But Moreland's just a brilliant uh, philosopher, Christian apologist. And one of the things that stood out in his books that he, he said that has stuck with me for many years is he says, you cannot hold with any real conviction that which is vague in your mind. That if you don't have a good understanding of, of why you believe what you believe, that your conviction is going to be very shallow. You're not going to be able to really hold on to that. Cause, cause what happens is, is when you don't really understand why you're believing what you're believing, when that gets rocked or shaken or someone comes up and challenges that, oftentimes if, it, if it's very vague, it's hard for you to hold on to that. And so I was thinking about his quote and, and what he says there and how important that is just in the call as a believer to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that our mind is part of that. And not only would I say that you can't hold with conviction that is what is, which is vague, but very closely related is that which is shallow in our understanding. Sometimes today in our culture, people will hold on to something very tightly and be very adamant about, I have a complete conviction on this, but their understanding of the subject is very shallow. And they haven't really thought it all the way through. And they don't have a lot of reasoning behind why they believe what they believe. And so again, that can be shaken very easily when they come up against someone that kind of challenges them on this. And so when it comes to matters of our faith, it's important that we understand why we believe what we believe. And so I was thinking about that quote from J.P. Moreland and just that idea as we go back into Romans today. Because in Romans chapter 11, we're kind of picking up and we're kind of bringing to an end uh, a question that's been running through chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11. And that's Paul's question that he he asks at the beginning of chapter 9 and he picks up again here in chapter 11. And it's, it's what is God doing with Israel? We look through Romans chapter one through eight as we spend our time in that. And it's this beautiful picture of God's salvation and how he calls people and how he is sovereign and he's bringing people in and this beautiful picture. And you get to nine and Paul's anticipating that his audience would go, but what about Israel? You're saying God is faithful and he keeps his people and he's doing this great work. And it's this beautiful picture of salvation. But so many Jews seem to have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And so it's a question that he's been answering in kind of multifaceted ways as we've gone through 9 and 10 and now 11. And he's been talking about God's sovereignty and how God is working and what it looks like. But today we're going to kind of bring an end to that as we think about Israel and what God is doing right now presently. And so the two ways I want us to look at this is what God's doing with Israel right now in the present, but also what he's going to do in the future. And when we see Paul's answer, it helps us understand how God is faithful and he is still working and he has a plan. But the reason I started with that question of that which is vague in our mind, it's hard to hold with any real conviction, is in my time as a pastor coming back to this over and over and over again, I've had this question many times, is this idea of Israel and what is God doing with Israel right now? And what happens for a lot of us is it's this vague thing. That's kind of like, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure how that fits and what that looks like. Or I've had a lot of people that, that go and watch some movies on the end times uh, which just, by the way, don't get your theology from movies on the end times. Uh, don't get your theology on the end times from movies starring Kirk Cameron. <laughs> uh, usually it's not going to be real great. But what happens is we take those movies and we kind of mash it together with this vague understanding of what we have with Israel. And we end up with some things that are not really very biblical at all. And then it gets real kind of uh, muddled in there. 
And so I want us just to think about what Paul says here for us very clearly about how God is faithful right now in the present. And he's talking about his present in the first century. But what he says is just as, via, just as relevant for us today in the present today. But then we're also going to talk about what he says about the future and God's future plan. And so really that's, that present is that first part in chapter 11. And then the future is that last part in chapter 11. So we're going to look at those together and think about it. And as we do, there's some great, important, vitally relevant things for all of us because it speaks directly to God's sovereignty, how he is at work, how he is faithful to his word, how he's working and he is faithful even when his people are not. And so I want us to look at that together. And so let's start with just this idea of what God is doing in the present. And so if you look there at the beginning of, of chapter 11 and verse one, he says, I asked then has God rejected his people? And just like he said at the beginning of chapter nine, he says, by no means, that's not the case that God is faithful and he has kept for himself a remnant. And so he says there in verse five, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And what he's doing here is he's kind of coming back to an argument that he's already covered, at least in part in chapter nine, because he first posed this question in chapter nine of what should we do with Israel in light of so many rejecting Jesus and his answer at the beginning in chapter nine and verse six. But it's not as though the word of God has failed for not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. And so his answer was not every ethnic Israelite is part of God's chosen people, his this true Israel. And he says, not all of Israel is Israel, that not every single one of them has come to faith just because they were born into this line. And that's the argument he starts in chapter nine. He's going to come back to that and say almost the exact same thing here in chapter 11. So at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace that not all of Israelites have accepted Jesus. Many have not, but there still is a chosen remnant that are believing and holding fast to what God has done and what he said. And so he says in verse seven, what then did Israel fail to obtain what it was seeking? He says, no, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. And so he uses a language that he's used throughout Romans. Uh, we really could kind of drill down in, in Romans chapter eight and chapter nine. He talks about God chooses and he is sovereign in his choice. If we were to go back to Romans chapter eight, uh, we've been going through Romans for a long time. <laughs> so if we were to go back to chapter eight, that would be before Christmas that we were in that, right? Like back in November and October, we were in Romans chapter eight. But in Romans chapter eight, Paul says this in verse 29 and verse 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And he's really saying the same thing here. Because in verse 7, he says, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, but the elect obtained it. And so his reasoning is that God has a people that he have called to himself, that he foreknew, that he set his affections on, that he called to himself, and he predestined them, and he called them, and he justified them, and he glorified them. And then Romans 8, we call that the unbreakable chain of salvation. That God is the one who is sovereignly doing this. And what Paul is saying, even though some have rejected, God is faithful. And he is doing what he said he was going to do. And he is calling people to himself. And even though many are unfaithful and many have turned their back on God, God is faithful. And he is calling people to himself. And so here, that's what Paul says. At the present time, there's a remnant that is chosen by grace. 
And God is in control of this. And then, and when he asks in chapter or in verse seven, that Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, he says, the elect obtained it. The ones that God has calling to himself, he still has. And so he, nothing is outside of control. Nothing has failed. And so his point here that he's saying is that even though not all of ethnic Israel is believing in Jesus, God's elect, those that he's called are, he hasn't lost any of them, and he always has a faithful remnant. Now, that's Paul speaking in the first century, but this is God's word, which is eternal. What Paul says there is absolutely true for us as well today. God still has a remnant. He still has a faithful remnant, even when many are rejecting him. And just as it was true in Paul's day, it's true today. And so God is faithful in this uh, elect that he has of this remnant. Then he gives us two examples of this, right? Right after that, in the beginning, in verse two, he says, uh, God has, or I'm sorry, even in verse one, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. And so he talks about himself. He gives the example of himself, Paul, who is a Jew, who is part of the faithful remnant chosen by grace. But then he gives us the second example in verse two of Elijah. Now, if you think about what he's doing here, Paul's saying that all throughout history, God has had a faithful remnant within Israel. The true Israel within Israel, because that's what he said in chapter nine. Not all of Israel is Israel. The faithful are the ones that are the true Israel. And so what he's saying is that's still the case. That was the case in Elijah's day, right? And so look at what he says about Elijah. He says, uh, this is quoting from First uh, Kings chapter 19. Elijah, God's prophet in the midst of a wicked generation that so many have forsaken God and they've begun to worship idols. And so Elijah says in verse three, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to them? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Right. And so what he's saying is in Elijah's day that God still had a believing remnant that he has kept. And notice the language that he uses. I have kept for myself. God says they are mine and I have got them. And even when my people are unfaithful and they harden their hearts against me, I keep a believing remnant and I am doing this. And so Paul's making that point that all the way through history, it's always been like this, that it was that way with Elijah. It's this way in Paul's day. Think about Paul's testimony. Right When he says here, so too at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. Paul knew that so well. That he had been called in, that he was now part of God's faithful people, completely by God's grace. If you know Paul's testimony at all. He was literally going around throwing the early church, putting Christians in jail, persecuting them, overseeing people being killed. uh, Christians being killed in the early church. And that's who Paul was. He was the Jew of Jews, the Israelite of Israelites, who whose pride was in him being Jewish and knowing the law and keeping it. All the things that he says that have hardened their hearts and their eyes. That was Paul. But God, by grace, opened his eyes to bring him in. And so what he's saying is just like now was the same in Elijah's day. And I would say to you today, as we think about this together, the same is true today. God is still faithful. And he still has a believing remnant and he's still calling people into it and he's still bringing people in. And that is true even today. And so God is faithful in establishing and keeping this believing remnant. But then there's a second thing I want to show you as we think about how God is faithful, how he's working now as it pertains to Israel. And so look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. 
So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And so I want you to think about what he's saying there. He says that through the trespass, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And when you really think about what Paul's saying here, this is really good news. This is really encouraging for us right now in our day. That even though they had rejected God and they were not following him and many of the Israelites had done so, they had turned their backs on God through their rejection. God uses that to bring many more people to faith through that. He brings the Gentiles in. And so I want you to think about this, that God gives us real choices with real consequences every day you wake up and we have real choices with real consequences in our life. But yet God is sovereign that even in our rebellion, that he is still at work. And so as they rejected God and they did that, he then used that rejection to help spark it, the gospel going to the ends of the earth for the Gentiles. And so if you, if you read through the book of Acts, you actually see this being played out. If you read the book of Acts, uh, Jesus says, go make disciples in Jerusalem, where they were, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's concentric circles growing out, going all over the planet. And that's the call that Jesus gives them in Acts. Go make disciples in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the outline of the book of Acts. It starts small in Jerusalem, and then it starts to go out. But what you see in those first few chapters in the book of Acts that takes you from A.D. 30 to about A.D. 65... That's showing you the spread of the early church. What you see is huge persecution by the Israelites, the Jewish leaders of the day against the church in Jerusalem. Right. Acts four, Acts five, Acts six. They, they martyr Stephen in Acts six, Acts four and five. They're telling the disciples to quit preaching the gospel. Stop saying this. And they say, we have to obey God rather than men. And we're going to continue to do this. But what happens is this persecution comes and there's a rejection by many Israelites of the day. And so they go out and God uses that rejection. He uses that persecution to continue to push the gospel out to all people, to all people of every tribe, tongue and nation. And so you see that happening. You actually see that in in Paul's ministry as well. When Paul becomes a believer and God changes him and opens his eyes and then sets him out to go and to spread the gospel, he goes into places, he goes into towns and he walks into the synagogue where there was a a contingent of Israelites there that knew the Old Testament. And he would say, this has all been fulfilled in Jesus. And he would go there first and some would come to faith, but many would reject him. And so then he'd walk out of the synagogue, synagogue and he'd go out into the town square and he'd start to proclaim the gospel to all people. God's calling you in. And so he's telling you that God was using even in their hardness of heart and even their rejection to continue to push the gospel out. And so Paul's saying God is using this. He's faithful even in their unfaithfulness. He's working even when they've rejected God. But then look at what he says right after that. Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And then he says, so as to make Israel jealous. And he talks about the riches of it going to the world. But then he says, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And so Paul's mentioned this a couple times in Romans, that through jealousy, he's hoping that many more Israelites will come in. 
And I was thinking about, well, what does he mean by that? Why would he say that? Why would he bring up the jealousy part? And I think you see this again if you read through Acts. That the gospel goes out and many, many people are coming to faith. And they're putting their faith in Jesus and they're seeing great works being done. And the people are praising God. Like Acts 4, they're praising God because many are coming to faith. The people, overwhelmingly. But the religious leaders are saying, stop talking in this way. And there's a jealousy. And I think Paul would have known this because he was on the other side of it before he became a believer. Jealous of going, I want to see people worshiping our God in this way. Why are they going after Jesus? And he's saying this jealousy, I'm hoping that they see the power of the gospel and it sparks in them a jealousy that then leads them to faith. And so what Paul's saying is God can work on all these ways and all these levels. Even in their rebellion, God is still sovereign and he's still calling people to himself. And so God is faithful in the present. He's faithful in keeping a believing remnant, but he's also faithful in using people's resistance and rebellion against the gospel because he is sovereign. He can use even those things to bring more people to faith. That's really good news. That's really good news in our day today. Is so many people are against the gospel. So many people are, are, are starting to just be hardened to what God's word says. But what he's telling us here is that even in that, God can use that hardness of heart for his glory and our good. Because God is sovereign. And so God is at work in the present. Then we're going to turn, we're going to look at the future. Well, what about the future of Israel? And, I, and I'm skipping over 13 to 24 because we talked about that last week. And so if you weren't here and you want to go back and listen to it last week, we cover that. But just real briefly, what he says there in that middle section is he says, this is how God's faithful in the present with Israel. And, and because of their rejection, it's gone to the Gentiles. And then he turns and he looks at the Gentiles, non-Jewish believers. And he says, don't you become proud. Don't you think that you've now accomplished some great work? It is God's grace to you that you've been saved. Don't begin to think it's something you did. You continue to put your trust in Jesus and him alone. And so he kind of gives them that warning. Don't become proud, but fear. Cling to the faith in Jesus. But then he comes back to this argument with the Israelites now talking about their future. And so look at what he says in verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And so he seems to talk about Israel having a future. He said multiple times throughout this chapter that God seems to be doing something, that he's got a future, that he's not just faithful with the believing remnant right now, but that he has a future for Israel. And so if you go back and you look at verse 12, he talks about how much more will their full inclusion mean there at the end of verse 12. You go, okay, well, he seems to be saying that some are going to be included and brought in. Or if you go to verse 23, he says, and even if they talking about the Jews, the Israelites, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in for God has the power to graft them in again. And so he seems to be saying, and then he gets to 26 and he says, and in this way, all of Israel will be saved, that God still has a plan for Israel in the future. So how do we take that? How do we look at what he's saying here? And so I'm going to tell you what I think he's saying, but I want to preface it with this. 
when it comes to Israel and how God's working and what he's going to do and how he's going to bring people in. And it starts to get to the idea of the last days and those last times right before Jesus returns. There's a whole lot of differing ideas on this. And it's what we often refer to, or the way I like to say it, is there are open-handed and there are closed-handed issues. This is an open-handed issue because there's a lot of things at play here and different people come to different uh, uh, ideas on what the answer is here. And so I would say to you, this is an open-handed issue. It's not an issue of salvation. Closed-handed issue is we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. As Christians, we say that is closed-handed. Jesus himself says that. No one comes to the Father but by me. There isn't a way around that. That is a closed-handed issue. An open-handed issue would be uh, when you get baptized and you profess your faith, are you sprinkled or are you immersed? Right? We, we do immersion here, and we think there's good reasons for that, but we have brothers and sisters in the faith who do sprinkling, and I think those people are saved and they love Jesus, and that is an open-handed issue. And so when we come to this and we start talking about, well, what's God going to do with Israel and how's he going to do it? I would say this is an open-handed issue. So I just want to preface that with what I'm saying. We should all have humility in the way we come at this. But here's what I think he's telling us and what he's talking about here. When he says in verse 25, until the fullness of Gentiles has come in and in this way, all Israel will be saved. I think what he's saying is the same way that the number of Gentiles are going to come in. Like through history, the gospel has gone out and Gentiles are coming to faith, non-Jewish believers coming to faith throughout all of history from Jesus' first coming to when he comes again. The full number will be coming in. And then he says, and in this way, all of Israel will be saved. I think what he's saying is that those that God knows that he has called to himself, not all of Israel is Israel, but the true Israel that will be saved, that they too are coming in throughout history. That people are being saved. Right now, Israelites are being saved. Israelites are coming to faith. Those of Jewish descendants are coming to faith in Jesus. Every year, more and more, God is calling them in. And there is always a believing remnant that he is calling to himself. And he says, in this way, they will all be saved. And so when Jesus returns, the fullness of that will come. And he will call to himself all people. Right? Those whom he foreknew that he predestined, that he called, that he justified, that he sanctified, all of them will be gathered together and all of Israel will be saved in that way. And so I believe that's what it means. I think that's what he's saying. Now, I have uh, brothers and sisters in the faith that would say, I think that God is going to bring a great number of ethnic Israelites in the last days to faith. And to that, I say, I hope so. I hope that's true. We should be praying that God would bring all people to faith, Israelites of every tribe, every nation, that God would do that. And I hope it is. I hope when he says all of Israel will be saved, that he is talking about that there's a great number that will come to faith in the last days. And maybe there is. I don't think the Bible demands that, but I think that could be true. And so to that, I say, I hope that's true. I hope that is what happens. I hope many, many come to faith in the the last days. But the second thing I would say about it, and so that's one kind of strain that I'd say, okay, maybe that is true. But the second strain, and I believe this, and I have brothers and sisters in the faith that don't believe this, that disagree with me here. And maybe you disagree with me. And so what I'm about to say, if you disagree with me, let's talk about it. It is an open-handed issue. It's not an issue of salvation. And we can still have unity together, even if we disagree on this. 
But when he says in this way, all of Israel will be saved. I am under the conviction that all of Israel is the believing remnant of God's people, that there is only one people of God, that it is those that he has called and he has brought to himself. And when he says all of Israel, he's actually talking about Jews and Gentiles together, the true Israel of God. Paul says in Galatians six and verse 16, he talks about the Israel of God. He's giving this blessing at the end. And it seems to me when I read that, that he is talking about all believers, that they are the Israel of God. The true Israel of God is those that have put their faith in Jesus. And I'm going to sketch for you just real briefly why I believe this, why I hold, why I subscribe to kind of that line of thinking. And it's simply this. If, if I go back to Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant, the first time God speaks to Abraham, the father of all Jews, right? The father of all Israelites. He gives him the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic promise. And he says, I want you to get up and you're going to move and you're going to go to this place. And I'm going to give you a great number of descendants. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And all of that, I think, pertains to Israel, right? The nation of Israel. I'm going to do this great thing. I'm going to show the world what I'm like through you and your descendants and this great nation that I'm going to make. But then he says, I'm going to bless the world through your seed. The seed being Jesus. And so God's very first promise to Israel, to Abraham, and what he was saying is, I am going to bless the world through your seed. And it was always about Jesus coming and bringing this blessing to the entirety of the world, not just one nation, not just one place. It was always about this. And so when we get to Romans, I want you just to think of some of the things he said in Romans to this point. So Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Now, he's talking to ethnic Jews at that moment. But what he's saying is, you're not Jew, a true Jew, just because you're born in the line. It's a work of God in your heart through the Holy Spirit. To be true Israel, right? If he said not all of Israel is Israel, then who is Israel? It's those that have had this awakening in their heart. Jesus has given them The heart of stone has become a heart of flesh and they now see Jesus and they are holding fast by faith. That is who the true Israel is, he says there. But then you get to chapter four and he's talking about Abraham. And he tells us that Abraham was saved before he was circumcised, before he took on the outward sign of being a Jew. So Genesis 15, six, God reiterates the Abrahamic covenant. He tells him this promise and it says, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. This is before he was circumcised. And so chapter four of Romans says he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So he got saved before he was Jewish and God called him into this. But then listen to why Paul says God did it in that way. That's not really even the most significant thing. Listen to what he says next. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That Abraham is the father of all who believe, not just Jews. That's what he says in in Romans chapter four. And so Abraham is the father of all. And you go, okay, well, what does that mean for the true Israel? Well, it includes those that have been saved, that have come into faith, whether they're circumcised, whether they're Jewish or not. But then in chapter nine, he says, it's not the children of the flesh. This is chapter nine, verse eight, who are children of God, but the children of the promise that are counted as his offspring. 
that it doesn't have to do with the flesh and the line, but it's the children of the promise. Now, again, he's talking specifically about God choosing uh, Jacob and not Esau. That is within the Jewish line. But I think the whole point still stands. But here's what brings it all together for me personally. And I've wrestled with this for years. It's Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26. Paul's written this letter to the church at Galatia, telling them not to go back to putting their faith and their trust in things of being Jewish. He's telling them not to worry about circumcision. It is by Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. That's what he's saying over and over and over and over again in Galatians. And he gets to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, and he says that in Jesus Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. Right? So we have this unity and we are brought together into God's family through what Jesus has done. But then listen to what he says. For as many as you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. That all the promises that God has given to Abraham are now yours in Jesus and you are brought into this. And so when he says not all of Israel is Israel and when he talks about the Israel of God, I think what he's saying is that all those that have put their faith into Jesus are now part of God's family and his people and we are one together and it's in Jesus. And so when he says he will bring all of them together and all of Israel will be saved, I think what he's saying is those that he has foreknown and that he has called and he has brought together, we're all going to be brought together. And he doesn't lose any. And Paul's point that he's been driving home in chapters 9 and 10 and now in 11 is that God is sovereign. And that he's in control. And that he is sovereign over salvation. And so I want us as we come to the end of this just to think about why this is so important. What he's been saying over and over again. And I know these chapters 9, 10 and 11 is a lot of heavy sledding. There's a lot here theologically. There's a lot of deep ideas that we have to wrestle with. We're going to turn the corner next week into chapter 12. And, and for me personally, it's like a, a sigh of relief. Like, whoo, now he's application, how the gospel changes your life and what it means. And it's like, whoo, we get to do that. But what do we take away from this? Where he's talked about God's sovereignty over and over. And I just want to remind you of what he said, that God is faithful and he doesn't lose any. That he is sovereign over all things. And that's really good news. He keeps saying over and over, it may look this way to you, but God has a faithful remnant. And it may look this way to you, but God is using these things for his glory and for your good. And that he is in control and he is working in all these ways. And so God is sovereign over all things. But I'd also remind you that in that sovereignty, that he is working even when people are rebelling. And again, I would say, as I think about that, that's really good news for all of us right now today. Right? We, we live in a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel. That people are, are holding to ideas and attacking ideas that we hold to and saying they're crazy. And there's all this swirling around. But in the center of this, and Paul's argument here, is that God is faithful. And he is at work. And even when people are rebelling against him, he is using it for the spread of the gospel. He is using it for our good and his glory. He's using it for our sanctification. And that is really good news that God is faithful even when people are not. And so I want us to be reminded of that. And then the last thing I would say to you 
that when we see those two, that God is sovereign and he's faithful in all those things, we can emphatically say, God has got you. He's got you in the midst of all of it. Right now, in all that's going on in the world, he is perfectly sovereignly in control. He hasn't lost any. That his plans have not been thwarted. That we can rest and that he is going to do what he's going to do. Which, by the way, as we talk about Israel and different ways to think about it, the open-handedness of this that is so wonderful is that God's going to do what he's going to do. If I see part of that wrong, praise be to God, I will gladly be wrong and we will praise him all the more in however he does that. That's one of the great things about a open-handed issue we can continue to talk about. And God's going to do what he's going to do. And he is sovereign and he is good and we can trust him in that. And so would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that you are sovereignly in control, that you are calling a people to yourself, that you don't lose any and that you are at work. We thank you that even though that you are sovereign, that you choose to use us, that you choose to work through the means of your people. And so I pray that you would remind us never to be complacent in your sovereignty, that we would be reminded clearly that you you choose to work through the means of people. And so use us uh, for the spread of your gospel, for your glory, for our sanctification. We pray that you would continue to do that work in and through us and that you would use us for the spread of your name throughout all the earth. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.